Well, truth without love has no decency. It's just brutality. On the other hand, love without truth has no character. It's just hypocrisy. That's how I heard one person recently put it. That's what we've considered, these subjects of truth and love, as we spent some time a few weeks ago in 2 John and now in 3 John. We've seen that a real love for truth leads to a real love for others, that truth and love, they're distinct, but they're inseparable. They cannot be separated. And the church is to be a display of truth, the truth of God's Word, and of love, love that's produced by God, by His Holy Spirit, that's displayed ultimately in His Son, Jesus Christ. And this morning, we look at the book of 3 John, and we see several examples in this letter of truth and love, several examples that are to be imitated. And then we see one negative example that is not to be imitated. And as we consider this letter from the Apostle John, written to his disciple Gaius this morning, may we consider about the example that we're to follow, to be a people that displays the truth and love of Jesus Christ. That's what the church is to be. We display the truth and the love that's been shown to us in Jesus. Well, a little bit of context about this book, 3 John. It is the shortest book in the Bible. Now, there are are more verses here than what we saw in 2 John, but there are less words contained here in John. This is what's known as a genre of a, a general epistle, or epistle just means letter, so it's an ele- a letter written by the Apostle John. And it st- stands out here as being more than just a general letter. It's a personal letter from John who identifies himself by his pastoral role as elder, the elder. And he's writing to his disciple, Gaius. So this is a personal letter preserved for us, recorded in the pages of the Bible for us to consider, to learn more about God and what He's done in Jesus, and to consider the example that we're to follow as Christians of truth and love. Now, we've got three letters written by John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. It could be that all three letters, that they came in a packet together, where 1st John was a sermon more for general distribution. Now, we went through 1st John a couple years ago. You can find that on our website. Second John we went through a couple weeks ago, and Second John could have been a letter that was meant to be uh, read aloud for all to hear. And this third letter uh, was, was given to Gaius, John's disciple. It was a personal letter written to him, but one that other Christians were meant to hear. Obviously, we're reading it this morning. Uh, these three letters from John, they were written by John, the son of Zebedee. Again, he was an apostle. We looked at last time, he was a pillar of the early church. He was handpicked by Jesus, trained by Jesus, an eyewitness to the death of Jesus Christ and an eyewitness to the resurrection of Jesus. And he was the last of the original 12 apostles or disciples, the last man standing, even as he wrote this letter. So today we take a look at his third letter, the book of 3 John. And I want to give you the main idea that we want to cover here in this sermon before I read through 3 John. The main idea, if you're taking notes, is this. A faithful Christian life involves a commitment to the truth that shows itself in love. A faithful Christian life involves a commitment to the truth that shows itself in love. 
Let me read through all of this letter here in 3 John. If you want to take your copy of God's Word, open it up and read along with me. And if you're here this morning and you don't own a Bible, there's a Bible right in front of you inside that pew rack. If you take that Bible, turn to 3 John. That's on page 1026, page 1026 in the pew Bible. And if you come this morning and you don't own a Bible, take that Bible home with you. Use it this morning and then take it home with you. That's a gift from us to you to learn more about who God is and what He's done in Jesus. Let me read through all of 3 John for us, starting in verse 1. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testify to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. I have written something to the church by Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he's doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony And you know that our testimony is true. I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, each by name. As we make our way through this letter, I want us to see three encouragements in truth. Three encouragements in truth. The first encouragement we find in verses 1 through 4, keep walking in the truth. Keep walking in the truth. Well, in all of John's letters, we see truth and love on display. Truth is mentioned six times here in this letter. Love or a related word like beloved is given four times. Again, the truth and love, they're distinct, yet they are inseparable. And in 3 John, we see how the truth produces loving relationships. You see, the foundation of loving relationships between believers, between brothers and sisters in the Lord, is the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what binds us together, what holds us together as the people of God. As a local church, what we are to have in common is the gospel of Jesus Christ, faith in Jesus. We follow Jesus. We worship Him. We serve Him. Churches are to be made up of people young and old, different backgrounds, different levels of education, different socioeconomic statuses, different ethnicities and nationalities. Those aren't to be the things we gather around and have in common, but rather our relationships and our friendships and our partnership. It's centered around the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
the foundation of loving relationships between believers, it's found in the truth of the gospel. That's what we see in verse 1. Gaius is addressed as beloved, meaning John loves him in the truth. Their relationship is rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Simply put, this is a gospel friendship. And we see this language of friends, it's repeated down in verse 15. We see this, this language, the friends greet you, greet the friends each by name. And gospel friendships are so important to Christian ministry. You see, ministry involves, Christian ministry it involves partnership, fellowship, it involves friendship. Friendship between members of the church, friendship between churches, between pastors of different churches. I'm thankful for the friendships I have. I prayed this morning for Trell Ross. He's a friend and a pastor down in Rock Hill, South Carolina. We partner together for the same gospel just across the line, right? North Carolina and South Carolina, same gospel, same mission. We partner together. We're, we're friends. You see, friendships are important to Christian ministry, but friendships, they take time to form. They require investment. They require intentionality. And notice that John is taking the time here to write a letter. That took time. It was a, something he did intentionally. It's a short letter even because we see at the end of verses 13 and 14 there that he doesn't want to write much because he desires to come and see Gaius face to face. He wants to see his friend. He wants to, to be together and strengthen their friendship and their partnership in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, I wonder, brother and sister in this church, what are you doing to build and maintain gospel friendships? How are you thinking intentionally about that in the life of this church? There's plenty of things that we plan for you as elders of the church, this worship service this morning, a prayer service tonight. I hope you'll come to that. But there's plenty of things that you need to do yourself. And I think part of the Christian life is you seeking to invest in relationships, and particularly looking to invest in relationships with other members of this local church. Well, how can you give yourself more to build gospel friendships and to maintain those gospel friendships you already have here in this church? Well, we see in verse 2 that John's love for Gaius, it leads him to pray for Gaius. His prayer for concern there is for his physical health and for his spiritual health. He prays in verse 2 that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. So here's what he prays. He prays, just as your soul, the inner person is healthy, so may it be with your physical health. It's a good thing to pray for, right? A, a, a healthy body. Now keep in mind, though, that a, a healthy body is of no profit without a healthy soul. It is most important that your soul, that your inner person is healthy, meaning that in your inner soul you love God, that you rejoice in Him, that you worship God, that He is supreme in your life. And when you became a Christian, church member, when you repented and put your faith in Jesus Christ, that's the moment that your inner soul became healthy, meaning that the presence of the Spirit of God came to enter into your life, Christ reigning supreme in your life. And you're called, you and I are called, the rest of our lives here on earth to give ourselves to Christian growth. It's the Spirit that's at work within us to produce good spiritual fruit, to cause us to obey God, to love His Word, to love Him, and to follow Him. And you and I have an obligation to give ourselves to that. 
You made the choice to be here this morning. I'm so glad that you did. That's a good choice that I trust God will use to bring fruit in your life. Give yourself to those things that are going to help you to have a healthy soul. Also realize, though, that a healthy soul benefits from a healthy body. Physical health, it's needed for ongoing labor and service. Sadly, there are some members of our church this morning who don't have the physical health to be here. Our beloved Brian Purvis is laying in a hospital bed with a broken hip. You know good and well Brian would be here this morning if he's physically able. Brian's always been here since the late 1950s. He loves coming to worship with God's people, and he's physically unable to do that right now, which is a terribly sad thing. So please reach out to them. Send cards. Encourage them. Talk to our deacons of member care, Roy and Lisa Britton, if you want to know more ways to encourage them and serve them. But that's a reminder even of saints that can't be here this morning how important physical health is. So John encourages his friend. He's saying that he's praying for him. And he's saying, I'm praying for your spiritual health and your physical health. Two good things to pray for your own soul and for those around you. In fact, I've heard it said, pray that you're doing well spiritually and that your body catches up. It's a good prayer to pray for yourself, to pray for your pastors, to pray for others. Well, in verse 3, we see that a group was sent by John, and they came back with a report. So there weren't emails in that day. Uh, There weren't Zoom calls they could have. They would send out groups. They'd receive back letters and reports. And while this group brought back the Apostle John some concerning news that we'll see later in the chapter, in verse 9, with diatrophies, there was also good news. Gaius, the good news is Gaius is living faithfully. He's walking in the truth of God's Word. And John encourages his friend Gaius by sharing how happy he is to receive that good report that he's walking in the truth. What that means, walking in the truth, it means walking in obedience to God and His Word. Gaius was doing well spiritually. He was growing and maturing in his faith. You see, walking in the truth means living according to the truth of God's Word. God's Word applied to your behavior, right doctrine, and right practice together. Now, keep in mind, when John wrote this letter, most likely he was at an old age. And what made this old fellow happy toward the end of his life, what made him joyful toward the end of his life, the end of verse 4, what he's most joyful about, they had no greater joy, was hearing that his children were walking in the truth. Again, this metaphor, children, meaning like spiritual children. Gaius was his disciple. It brought him no greater joy than to hear Gaius was walking in the truth, the truth he received. The truth that's been entrusted to him, the truth of God's Word, he's continuing to walk in the truth. John was overjoyed about that. Well, brother and sister in the Lord, I wonder this morning, what brings you joy? What brings you joy in life? Well, for for church family, I think when we come on Sunday mornings, we can rejoice every Sunday morning at the testimony that we see by God's grace here in this local church. You see, local church is a source of encouragement in so many ways, but what we have gathered here on Sunday mornings that's different from the rest of the week, we've got an assembling of people, of testimonies of God's grace. There are so many examples this morning of people walking in the truth. And if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, I am so glad that you came. We would love to have you as our guest every Sunday. We'd love for you to come and 
hear more about God's Word and what He's done in Jesus. We'd love to get to know you more. You see, churches are an important place to come because you get to hear God's Word, but you also get to see and to meet and to, to hear from God's people. These are people who are testifying not by their own wisdom, not by their own effort, not by their own ability, but only by the grace of God and the mercy that has come from God through Jesus Christ. They're walking in truth. They're worshipers of God. And church member, it is a joy and a blessing. No matter how your week has been each week, maybe you've struggled with sin this week. Maybe you come in discouraged this week for things that you've given yourself over to. It's, it's right to feel guilt over those things. It is. We need to take that guilt and confess it and receive refreshing from the Lord, encouragement that comes from confessing our sins and being reminded of God's forgiveness. But it's also important to come and be encouraged by the testimonies of others who are walking in the truth. You see, there is evidence of this hundreds of times over, literally hundreds of times over, right here in this building. The greatest desire we should have for one another, a great prayer to pray for one another, that we would keep walking in the truth. And if you want to keep walking in the truth, keep coming to church. You say, ah, Dave, that's easy to say you're a pastor. Of course, you've got a vested interest in in saying this. No, my dad was not a pastor. My dad was not a pastor, and he took our family to church every Sunday. I did not like it. We went on vacation in the summer. We were in campgrounds, and he made us get dressed up and go to church. But I look back now, and I'm so thankful for that because my dad had a commitment to take us to hear the truth of God's Word. That brought fruit in my life. You see, you can't possibly walk in the truth if you don't live your life in fellowship in the local church. Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 3.15, he calls the church the pillar and buttress of the truth. It's a support. That's what a pillar is like. The pillar is out, out front in our building that they hold this structure up, that the church is that pillar and buttress that supports the truth. So if you want to walk in the truth, join in this fellowship of believers together that are corporately living our lives together in worship, walking in the truth. You see, John was overjoyed about a spiritual child, a disciple walking in the truth. But, but think about this, parents, for your biological children. Your children walking in the truth should be your greatest prayer. It should be your greatest aim because that's going to be your greatest joy. You see, your children walking in the truth is of greater joy than them excelling in academics. Your children walking in the truth is of greater joy than them growing up and being accepted into the top universities. It's a great thing. Kids, work hard. Work hard in school. It's a great thing to aim to try to get into the top universities. But that's not the greatest joy you can know in life, and it's not your parents' greatest joy for you. You see, walking in the truth is a greater joy than growing up to get married, have a nice house. The greatest joy for your children, parents, no greater joy than them walking in the truth of God's Word. Let's parent like that. There's so many pressures parents face that we want our kids to have all these experiences academically and athletically and socially and we're, we're worried about their future and what they're going to do for their jobs and there's certainly good counsel and direction that we can give them as parents but let our concern first and foremost be that they are prepared to walk in the truth of God's word parents you cannot make that decision for your children we can't my parents couldn't make it for me kids we can't make it for you But parents, let's be mindful there are dozens of decisions that we can make right now to point them in the right direction. 
And let's keep making those decisions. And I know I'm preaching to the choir here because you're here this morning with your kids. But let's be clear, sometimes that changes. Sometimes people come to church and they're real faithful to be there with their kids when they're in elementary school. The middle school and high school comes and the kids start driving. There's all sorts of things to give your time to and different opportunities on Sunday morning. And my, my goodness, 2020 and COVID got people into bad habits that many have not gotten out of yet. And that's why we say we must keep walking in the truth. And let's guard ourselves and let's guard one another. Let's encourage one another. Let's pray for one another that we would keep walking in the truth. And I understand that while children walking in the truth, it brings great joy. I understand that that great sorrow comes when children choose not to walk in the truth. And for those who are here this morning and you have children, even, even your adult children, not walking in the truth, I want to tell you, don't give up. Keep on loving on them. They are not yet walking in the truth, but one day they may be. Don't give up praying for them. Don't give up loving them. Don't give up speaking the truth in love to them. And don't stop inviting them to church. You see, that greatest joy may be yet to come. Persevere by God's grace. Keep praying. Keep loving. Keep serving. Keep on relating to them in truth and in love. Well, John was joyful that Gaius was walking in the truth. And in verses 5 through 8, we see that he was joyful that Gaius was acting faithfully. That brings us to our second encouragement in the truth there in verses 5 through 8. Partner together to spread the truth. Partner together to spread the truth. In verse 5, John commends Gaius for supporting a group of missionaries, of traveling preachers. And even though they were strangers and Gaius didn't know them personally, he loved this group of brothers, of believers in Jesus Christ. He supported them, likely by showing hospitality and therefore supported them in their ministry. Now, when we looked at 2 John two weeks ago, we read there that John gave that local church direction to not show hospitality to false teachers, to those teaching a false gospel. The loving thing to do there was to guard Christians from false teaching. Therefore, John directed them to not support those traveling false teachers. Here in 3 John, this is the, the other side of the same coin. John says you should be hospitable to gospel teachers, to faithful teachers, support them, show hospitality, and partner with them in their efforts to teach the truth about Jesus. So John encourages Gaius to be a sender, S-E-N-D-E-R, a sender, to be a sender to send those out to preach the gospel. We see this at the end of verse 6 where he says, you will do well to send them on their journey. Now this refers to sending out missionaries. If you look down at verse 7, we we know that's true because these teachers, they have gone out, missionaries who've gone out, who've left for the sake of the name. That means the name of Jesus. I I love how John puts it. It's kind of an odd letter because it's like, well, you don't really see Jesus' name mentioned here, but you see the name because he he knows like the name, that's all he needs to say. It's based off something like Philippians chapter 2 verse 9, the name that is above every name. Jesus. There is no greater name. These people, they went out. They left. They left their home. And why did they leave their home? Not for a new job, not to move to a warmer climate. Left their home for the sake of the name of Jesus Christ. This is the same reference in Acts chapter 4, verse 12. The only name 
under heaven by which we must be saved. They left for that name to proclaim the name of Jesus. So this wasn't merely a group of Christians that were traveling. This was a group of missionaries that have gone out, left on a mission to proclaim the name of Jesus, to point people to repent of their sins and put their faith in Jesus. That's what a missionary is, by the way. So I, I think there's good, good intention sometimes when people say, well, every Christian's a missionary. I understand people want to encourage. We all want to be on mission. We all want to preach the gospel. Uh, I don't tend to subscribe to that view of missionary. I, I want to hold to the traditional definition of a missionary, a Christian who goes out for the sake of the name, in going out, crossing a, a boundary, a, a national or geographic line to proclaim the name of Jesus. I've heard a de definition given like this, I think is a great description of what a missionary is and what missions is. Missions is taking the gospel across boundaries, especially the boundaries of language. Missions is evangelism in a place and among a people where it is largely unknown in order to transform the nature of humanity and nothing less. Well, those who are to be supported are those who go out for the sake of the name of Jesus. Missions is not a humanitarian effort. There's lots of good and commendable humanitarian efforts, but that's not what missions is. Missions is going out for the sake of the name of Jesus, to proclaim the name of Jesus, to make his name known that people might believe in Jesus and know the living God, to be forgiven of their sins. John directs Gaius to keep doing what you are doing. So he's already doing this. He received these brothers. He provided support for these preachers of the gospel. And John's saying, keep doing this. Send them out on their journey for the sake of the gospel. Now, now Gaius was likely doing this by giving them a place to stay and uh, giving them meals. Again, there weren't hotels to stay in or Airbnbs in that day. Uh, Christian missionaries were completely reliant on, on other Christians showing hospitality, welcoming the others in as Christ had welcomed them. So he was taking care of their practical needs. And notice at the end of verse 6 the manner in which he was to send them, in a manner worthy of God. In other words, these workers for the truth they represent the Lord, and they deserve to be treated as such. Provide for them in a way that's worthy of God, meaning a way that God would approve. Brother and sister, consider that we bring God glory when we send out workers for the sake of the name of Jesus. That is central to our ministry as a local church. When we give our money when we give our time to raising up workers, we pray for those going out. When we get behind workers who go out for the sake of the name, we bring God glory. You see, verse 7 gives us every motivation that, that we need. They've gone out for the sake of the name. So if you're going to go out for mission, it's that you're motivated by the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. You desire for His name to be known and loved and worshipped to the ends of the earth. And for those who would send those out, it's the same motivation. We want the name of Jesus to be known. We get one life. You get one shot at life. You're here this morning. If you've got new life in Christ, you've been redeemed for the sake of His name. Your mission changed on the day of your conversion. Your mission 
transformed and changed, to live for the glory of the name of Jesus. Every one of us has assignments and responsibilities here in this room. Your assignment might be at home, it might be at school, it might be at work. Uh, Some of you work in vocational ministry. Some of you are wanting to go out and be missionaries. I pray that that happens in this local church. But all of us are on assignment for the glory of the name of Jesus Christ. But we also see in this letter there's a special thing that we're all to be on assignment for. And that is the name of Jesus going to the ends of the earth. You see, that's not just the interest of a few people in this church. Like, oh, well, this, this couple, they're the missions couple. They love missions. These individuals, they're the missions couple. This church in town, that's the missions church. Well, this is to be every local church. This is to be every Christian. Because every follower of Jesus longs for his name to be exalted and known. Brothers and sisters, there's no greater joy that you can give your life to than living for the sake of of the name of Jesus. Now, it's an extremely important work to send missionaries out. Look at verse 8. Therefore, we ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers for the truth. So, that there's an example here for us to follow. That word ought in verse 8. We ought to support people like this. Why? In verse 7, we see they accepted nothing from the Gentiles, meaning that the work of the gospel is not going to be supported outside of the church by unbelievers. Rather, the work of the gospel is supported by people who love Jesus, supported by Christians. The funding mechanism for the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ is the generosity of local churches. This is our mission. This is our our ministry. This is the privilege and the joy and the obligation that we ought to, that we must give ourselves to. Send them, provide whatever they need. I think that certainly includes financial support. We are to support them financially, abundantly. In Titus 3, verse 13, we also see a call to support in such a way where they lack nothing, meaning that we want to completely get behind missionaries, to support people like these, missionaries who go out for the sake of, of the name. And look at the special opportunity that John is calling Gaius to, which we need to be aware of. John writes that when we support missionaries, we become co-workers with them, fellow workers in the truth. So, so in a sense, you go with them as co-workers when you support them. What does this mean for us as Oakhurst Baptist Church? Well, I think really two callings we have. Number one, we must go out for the sake of the name. Number two, we must send those who do. We must go out for the sake of the name, number one. Number two, we must send those to do. In other words, we all have a part in the spread of the gospel to the ends of the earth. I hope some of you go. We pray for that regularly. We've been praying for that. I know some of you were planning to go We had things get interrupted even with our strategic partnership in Moscow, Russia, summer 2020, 2021 again, and then this summer. In fact, I was supposed to not be here right now. We had June 23rd through June 30th as our planned missions trip to be in Moscow, Russia. There was a group of us that were planning to be there today, right now. God had other plans. We've been providentially hindered in that. He's got other places you can pray. God would give us wisdom to redirect us and where we need to go. But friends, may we not put off the call to send people out and for some of you to go out for the sake of the name. What a privilege and honor that is. Would you pray that? 
If that's a desire in your mind and heart, would you pray, God, would you send me out for the sake of the name? Now, I understand just statistically speaking, most of you in this room will not go out. I don't think you need to feel guilty about that, right? Most of you will not go out. Some of you should, but most of you will not. Well, the rest of us still have an important work. We must send. We must send people out. We must give of ourselves, our prayers, and certainly our financial support to send out workers and spread the gospel to the ends of the earth. Normal local church ministry involves sending out missionaries. Let's keep praying. Let's keep working. Let's keep considering. Let's keep strategizing. I'm thankful for the generosity of this church so far. We, we said seven years ago when we replanted, we wanted to give right away to the work of the gospel to the ends of the earth. We didn't want to wait until like as a young church replant, we felt financially self-sustainable to do that. We wanted to give right away, and we did. I'm grateful for the ways this local church has provided funds that we in turn have used to support gospel workers and missionaries. Your financial generosity has contributed to Andy and Rebecca Johnson and their family being in Ankara, Turkey, to plant a church for the sake of the gospel there. Your financial generosity has helped Tim and Naya Bird to be in Lusaka, Zambia, for the spread of the gospel there on college campuses in Zambia. Your financial support has helped Michael and Ali Stilly be in two different cities in northern Iraq for the spread of the gospel. Even most recently, us helping to fund a translation of good Christian literature into Arabic that they might be able to use that in their ministry. Your financial generosity has put Matt and Emily Tyler and their family this morning in Bangkok, Thailand to plant a church for the preaching of the gospel. And your financial generosity has helped Ricky and Brandy Wilhelm, who were in Moscow, Russia, and now have been removed from that country and not permitted to enter back into it. But they are praying, actually this week I got a text from Ricky, they are praying about what's next and where they could go. And you should join in praying for them. In fact, we're going to pray for them tonight. We've got members on the field this morning. Calvin Davis is in Ankara right now this morning uh, proclaiming the name of Jesus. Karis Brooks in Zambia this morning proclaiming the name of Jesus. Students spending their summer vacation for the sake of the name. Even beyond that, I'm thankful for the local evangelism we get to be a part of in North American church planting. We prayed for Trill Ross this morning in Rock Hill. We've supported Scott Cope and their work to plant a church in Massachusetts. And it's our last Sunday with Kate and Tess McDonald who planned them up to Burlington, Vermont, to enter a church planter training program there with Nets in New England to go out for the sake of the name. It's important to send people out to other nations, and it's important to be involved in North American church planting as well. I'm so thankful for what I see God doing in this church, and by God's grace, let's give ourselves to more. Let's pray and ask God to give us wisdom in partnering together for the spread of the truth of the gospel. We see here a a final encouragement in verses 9 through 15. Final encouragement in the truth. Imitate those who walk in the truth. Imitate those who walk in the truth. John mentions three times in this letter, or three men, excuse me, in this letter. So we've we've already read about Gaius, then down in verse 9, he writes about Diotrephes, and in verse 11, Demetrius. Now Gaius and Demetrius, they are positive examples that we are to imitate and follow. Diotrephes, on the other hand, is a bad example not to be imitated. In verses 9 and 10, uh, we see the problems he's causing. This could actually be the reason why John wrote this letter to Gaius. So a a Christian leader, Diotrephes, uh, he doesn't seem to be false teaching, but he has been a problem 
for the ministry of Gaius. He doesn't submit to the Apostle John's teaching. He is selfish and prideful. He is rebellious, and he is out of line. And the scenario here, if you look in verse 9, was that John had written a letter to the church. Not this letter, I think any other letter. It might have been some other letter that he wrote. That both Gaius and Diotrephes, they were there in the same region. They might even have been members of the same church. We're not sure, but they could be. But Diotrephes rejected John's letter. He rejected the letter out of pride. We read that he likes to put himself first. Therefore, he was hostile to John's authority. There was no partnership with John. It's almost like a competition. It was Diotrephes' ego. He wanted to put himself first. He didn't want to submit to John's letter and his, his teaching. He was hostile to John's authority. Keep this in mind. He wouldn't acknowledge an apostle, John, personally selected by Jesus, an eyewitness to the resurrection of Jesus, authorized by Jesus to write Scripture. And Diotrephes did not want to acknowledge him, meaning he rejected the teaching of an apostle. Now, sadly, there are still people to these days who call themselves church leaders, who reject the authority of the apostles' teaching. They reject the New Testament. They've tried to modernize the Bible and say there are new ways we're leading and still calling themselves Christian churches. This started as a problem back in the first century. He rejected the truth, and therefore he did not walk in love. When you reject the truth, you can't possibly walk in a way that loves God and loves your neighbor. We see in verse 10 a little bit more of the problem. Uh, Diotrephes was talking wicked nonsense against John. This word wicked nonsense, it actually means gossip. He was maliciously gossiping. And in fact, this phrase, it literally translates gossiping evil words against us. So using gossip and wicked speech to oppose John's apostolic ministry. So Diotrephes was rebelling against authority, speaking evil. Now, when we were in 2 John, I gave a word to our elders. I told our elders there was a a wonderful exhortation for us to consider there in our manner of ministry. That like John, we needed to be gentle and patient in our pastoring. That's something you can continue to pray for us as elders. But I want to give a word of exhortation here to our congregation from 3 John verse 10. We need to be watchful for gossip in the local church. In other words, you need to be the place that gossip ends in a local church, particularly gossip about church leaders. One author put it like this, in the contemporary church, some Christians couldn't care less about how they talk to or about their pastors. They treat them like hired help, not God-ordained authorities. I think we need to be watchful for that. Uh, There's no more common sin against church leaders than gossip a serious offense. Now, hear me clearly, there's certainly an acceptable category for disagreeing with the decision of the elders. You're you're free to disagree with decisions that we make. Uh, There is an acceptable category for having fair criticism. Gossip is different. It's wicked speech that, that makes false statements that damages someone's reputation. Oftentimes, gossip is assigning wrong motives, motives you can't possibly know about one of your leaders and spreading false reports. And I think the warning here is that walking in truth and love towards your elders 
involves speaking truthful and loving words to us and about us. As we see it in this letter, it's an appropriate thing for us to guard ourselves against. Well, in his pride, Diotrephes was not only bad-mouthing John, he also opposed his leadership. In verse 10, we see that he refuses to welcome the brothers. So he wouldn't welcome this group of brothers, maybe even the same group of traveling missionaries. At the end of verse 10, we see he was kicking out those who wanted to welcome these brothers, trying to excommunicate them out of the church. Now, let me be clear. Diotrephes wasn't practicing church discipline here. That is not practiced unilaterally. We know from Jesus' directions in Matthew chapter 18 and Paul's directions in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, that excommunication involves not one person, but the whole church body. So what he was doing here was trying to accrue authority for himself to do something that he should not do. Simply put, his pride and his rebellion was disrupting the ministry of the church, and John was preparing to come and confront him for the sin. Again, why is this mentioned here? It almost feels tacked on from this really encouraging passage of like, let's go out for the sake of the name. And then we're talking about diatrophies and like, wow, this is a little bit of a downer in this letter. I think he's wanting to make sure that, that Gaius doesn't get influenced by a diatrophies. He doesn't want the negative of example of diatrophies to influence Gaius from sending out these workers and following the apostles' teaching. That's why in verse 11, he gives this direction, beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Gaius showed hospitality. Diotrephes showed hostility. Gaius loved the brothers. Diotrephes loved himself. John's saying, imitate the good examples. Give yourself to following good examples. Steer clear of committing the evil acts that others do. And he closes out the letter pointing to Demetrius as a a final positive example at the end of the letter in verse 12. Many scholars believe that Demetrius is the one giving the task of delivering this letter sent by John, therefore he would be representing John as Gaius was reading this letter. And John himself, along with his church, bears witness that Demetrius in verse 12 has a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself, meaning his very commitment to the truth, spoke well about his reputation. Across the board, he was affirmed as one who does good and showed himself to be from God. Followed those examples. Follow good testimonies. And and Christian, probably a good thing to ask yourself, could it be said of you that you have a good testimony, that you have a good example? A, A primary ministry for you in this church is to set a good example for other members of this church. A a primary way to be strengthened and encouraged, look to good examples around us. There are hundreds of them. What a gift. Hundreds, literally, of good examples in this room. Praise God for that. And let's be strengthened by the good examples and testimonies around us. You see, pointing out the example to imitate and not to imitate, it helps us understand that walking in the truth is empowered by imitating those who walk and the truth. Be careful who's influencing you. Be careful who, give yourself, who you give yourself time to be around. Commit yourself especially to be around members of this church. Strengthen and encourage each other. Stop getting all your counsel from Twitter. Stop it. It's not a good place to get counsel. There's some helpful things there, but why not put the phone down and go talk to other members of this church? Ask them about their marriage and, and ways they've seen God bring grace in their marriage or their parenting. 
Uh, ask them about uh, seasons of difficulty or challenge in their lives and God's grace in their lives. Ask them for counsel and advice. Ask them for their opinion on things. Seek out wisdom and encouragement and help from the hundreds of testimonies that we have here in this room. I am so thankful to be a part of this local church. It's, it's one reason why ch- church membership should mean something, that we have a collection, an assembly of faithful testimonies to imitate. Well, in conclusion, the greatest picture of truth and love, we thought about this last time, the greatest picture of truth and love that's ever been seen is found where? In Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. John also told us that God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. You see, in the name of Jesus, we know truth and love. And through the name of Jesus, we can truly show truth and love. May we live for the sake of His great name, a name that displays truth and love that the world longs to see, that the world needs to see, a name that displays truth and love that by God's grace, if you put your faith in Jesus, you have now been created to display. And may we as a local church work together that His name would be heard and believed and loved and cherished and worshiped to the ends of the earth. And may we grow in our love for this great name. Let's bow and pray.